Good morning, and uh, thank you for everyone who's been taking part in the meeting up till now, and, and leading us, and thank you for everybody that's here. So today, we're going to look at, uh, continue our series in uh, the Old Testament, and we are going to be looking at an example of how the New Testament is sometimes a key to understanding the Old Testament. And this is part 44 of our series, and it's also Psalm 44, which kind of works out neatly. Um, and uh, I'm calling this the Psalm with no hope, or when God doesn't even seem to be listening. And uh, I'm going to uh, look at this really surprising, mysterious psalm. And first of all, let's go through it and we'll read it. And the psalm divides into five stanzas. A stanza is like a group of, of, of verses. And the first stanza, verses one to three, talks about the old stories um, where God um, saved his people. And my goal is if you've ever felt that things are really bad and God is not listening, then this is a psalm for you. So, first verses. To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. So it's not particularly by David, it's anonymous effectively. O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. Most of us probably have heard stories of God doing wonderful things in the past. And um, the the psalmist here is thinking of, of things in Israel's history. What might he be thinking of in these verses here? What events? Coming out of Egypt? Yep, yep. What else? uh, Jericho? Yep, that's right. Um, Fed by manna in the wilderness, maybe. The sea parting in front of them, that kind of thing. Um, And maybe we've read stories in the past and we've heard what God has done in days of old. And when I was young, I used to love to read missionary stories and I remember one of a, a guy called John Payton who's one of my favorites and he was um, uh, in a uh, reaching a group of people who were very aggressive towards him and one night they said to him we're going to kill you tonight and there was like a whole a whole village of them and he and his wife just hid in their little hut and um, that they built and in the morning like they prayed all night in the morning they were still there, and they came out, and they said to the villagers, well, you didn't kill us last night. And the villagers said, well, we wanted to, but all these shining men on your roof were scared, so scary, we couldn't go near the place. And it was God's angels had come to protect them. Amazing stories. And uh, you may have um, uh, heard of uh, somebody called Brother Andrew. When I was When I was growing up, people would call me Brother Andrew, which really annoyed me, so I vowed never to read the book. But um, I read it in the end, and it's actually really, really good. If you ever get a chance to read the book Brother Andrew about 
this man who's who's just uh, relying on God's power and really well documented things that God did through his life. Um, maybe you've seen Christians um, see God answers to prayer. My parents were really um, very, very generous in the way they provide. They gave to people and God gave back to them and looked after them. And I was really, I just saw these stories about what God had done. So this is the old stories. Now we come on to stories in his own lifetime. You are my king, O God, ordained salvation for Jacob. The, through you we push down our foes, through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in, in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me, but you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we've boasted continually and we will give thanks to your name forever, Silah. So this is uh, what God is doing for there in his lifetime. And you can probably think of things that God has done for you. Can you? Can you think of God's done, things God's done for you in your, in your life? I can think of a number of years ago and I was here in Canada on a student visa and I was given the wrong advice. And I was, I ended up by being in a panic and having to sort out my immigration like that day. And it was, I'm sure some of you can identify with what this feels like. Um, but I, I knew that the Lord wanted me in Canada. So I just cried out to him and help him. And in a space of a day, every single problem regarding my immigration was sorted out. Now I'll tell you, I'll tell you what happened. Um, I called the immigration office on, on university and um, they said, um, uh, the woman I spoke to said, oh, you need to do this and this and bring your stuff here, bring it here and we'll sort it out and told me what to bring. And she was very helpful and I said at the end, thank you so much and, and what's your name? And she said, oh, it's Alice. So anyway, so I... Um, so I got all my stuff together and I headed on the streetcar along um, Carlton and I got off at, um, at university and I walked down to, to where the immigration office was. And these great big buildings, the hospital buildings each side, and I'd just been reading the story of um, Elisha and when he was in a city that was attacked by enemies and his his servant Gehazi was was very very fearful and he prayed God opened Gehazi's eyes and God opened his eyes and he saw the hills around the mountains covered in chariots and there were God's army God's supernatural army and he had this vision of God's power and um, I imagined as I was walking down uh, I imagined you know God's armies on the on these great buildings each side and you know if God wanted me in Canada what could little bureaucrats do to stop me being here that was a... anyway so I was quite quite pumped when I walked into the immigration block in the, uh, the office and there stretching the entire block was a lineup so I I stood there in the lineup and you know I thought well you know it may take some time so eventually I'm getting near the front and as I get near the front of the lineup I hear begin to hear what they're saying they're saying to people oh um uh, here's a, here's a form just fill these things out send it to the address in Saskatchewan and you'll hear back in a few weeks 
And everybody was getting this. And I thought, oh dear, what's going to happen? So I got to the front and gave him my stuff. And sure enough, here's the document, Philadelphia, Saskatchewan, and so on. And I, I, didn't, I, I, just said, I just said, well, Alice told me to come here and it would get sorted out. And the woman said, Alice sent you? I said, yeah. Uh, excuse me, Alice sent this guy here. Um, oh, um, you over there, could you, do you, are you processing anybody right now? Alice sent this guy. I didn't know what was happening. I seemed to have the magic word. And I went over, sat, waited for the guy. He got to process me. And as he's going through processing me, I'm, I'm just doing, I'm just, I think I was reading my Bible. I was just doing some, um, some stuff. And I thought, he's going to hit the fact that I went out of status a year ago. And he's going to discover that. And this has been a problem. Anyway, so he's there and he's saying, oh, everything looks gay. Oh, there's something odd here. Looks like a year ago you went out of status. Huh. No, I think it's a mistake. I'm going to delete it. I <laughs> carried on. <laughs> and the end of it, he gave me my documents. And I had one other thing to do. I had to sort out my, my uh, children's documents as well. And so I went to the place, travelled to where I had to get to for that. It was a different building. And I went in there and there was a little waiting room and I saw... Various people were taking people in various offices and I thought, you know, that, that woman over there looks really friendly the way she's dealing with people. I just hope I get her to process my documents. But now I was called into a, a guy down the end and I went in and I showed him my stuff and he looked at my documents. Hey, you're a student at Bible school. Praise God. Praise God. Where, where do you say that you want to go to school? Here, look, you fill it out. I'll give it to you. You can just do what you like. And, you know, I walked out with everything sorted out. So that's one of the stories that I know God was with me in this incredible way in my own lifetime. And, uh, oh, you know, I've heard other stories in my lifetime. I heard about a missionary who was um, in, in Mozambique and she's driving along a street and she told me that that the it was a narrow street bandits jumped out with with guns just a group of them in front of the car with guns and she just cried out the shortest prayer that there is jesus and uh, she um she like without even thinking like she swerved and there was an empty sidewalk at the side and she drove on the sidewalk between a couple of concrete pillars and, and drove off and she was gone she was past them everything was fine and she thought, that was very narrow. How did I get through there? So a while later, she was back in that area and she had a look and she measured the gap that she'd gone through and it was actually smaller than the width of the car. Somehow God had supernaturally taken her through at that time. And I know this is true because I know the person who told me this story. So these are amazing things. And maybe you have some stories in your life where you've cried out to God and he's heard you. Um, but now we come to the third stanza where there's a huge change and we begin to learn what this psalm is about. So, uh, you've turned against us, but you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoiled. So there's this horrible, horrible turning. God is now allowing them to be beaten. What's happening, God? But then it carries on. You've made us like sheep 
for the slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You've sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You've made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You've made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long, my disgrace is before me. My shame covers my face. At the sound of the taunt and reviler, at the sound of the enemy, the avenger, everything's gone wrong. God seems to be nowhere to be seen. And we don't know the historical event behind this. Um, it doesn't seem to be the captivity. We'll see reason for, for why. Um, uh, commentaries um, just speculate about it, but there's really no good solution. And it seems to me that it deliberately doesn't have a precise historical background we can pin it on, because then we would uh, we would then try and identify with it, and if it didn't match our categories, we would dismiss it. But it's deliberately vague. So we can match it to whatever categories are going on in our lives. Um, do ever things go wrong in your life and God doesn't seem to be hearing? Do you ever have any like bad things that happen? Um, one day I was woken up, this is a few years ago, I was woken up at 4 a.m. with a call from the police. Now, let me tell you, there's never any good news you're going to get from the police at four, with a 4 a.m. call. And what they said was, oh, we've recovered your vehicle. What? I, my vehicle doesn't need, my vehicle's fine, it's just outside my house. It was outside my house. Oh, it was stolen by some kids and there was a high-speed chase and it's got a bit of damage. You'll find it in this pound here. So uh, that was the news, but, you know, I was able to recover it and get it fixed and so on. But that's not good. Um, and uh, you've probably heard stories of bad things happening to people. And where is God in this? Like, what's happened to God? My brother's wife uh, had cancer with three young children, one of them just born, and they passionately prayed to God for her, and she died. And leaving these children. Um, bad things happen. And it's not, um, do, it's not because we've done wrong and God is punishing us. And I want us just to look now at how this psalm is unfolding in the stanzas. The old stories, first of all. And then the stories in his own lifetime. And then you have turned against us. But then it continues but we are not to blame. It's not that we've done something wrong. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we've not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals, that's the wilderness, and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He's pretty upset with God, isn't he? Do you think do you agree? He's pretty 
pretty cross with God. Um, uh, this reminds me of, um, of the book of Job in some ways. Uh, you know, uh, everything was going wrong for Job and Job, Job's friends were saying, well, you must have sinned in some kind of way. Uh, well, if you think that this is bad, wait till we get to the last stanza. The last stanza. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Now the psalmist is really upset. He pleads with God, uh, just please, God, please show us mercy. It just seems that God is not being fair here. God is being unfair in the way that he's treating them. Um, He's made promises and he's not being faithful to them. God's God's words, God's God's promises, and his his actions don't seem to match up. Um, Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt that God is not being fair with you? I must confess, I have felt like that. I pleaded with God, and it seems to make no difference. He doesn't seem to take an interest in my promises. Uh, He feels forsaken in this psalm, abandoned. The problem is that this is where the psalm ends. Um, uh, I don't like the psalm ending like this, so I've decided to make up another stanza. So this is like, it goes through, these are the first five stanzas. I've decided the last one is God answers our prayer. So here's, here's my stanza. I called unto the Lord and he answered me. I cried to him and he heard my voice. He brought my feet up out of the pit. He set them on a high rock. The Lord is my strength and my high tower. I will praise his name forevermore. Do you like it? It's pretty good. So it's verses 27, 28 and 29. Uh, unfortunately, if you open your Bible, somehow they're not in there. Um, so um, so why does it end like that at verse 26? Can you tell me? There's what? They don't have an answer yet. Um, the, the, the reason why it ends like this is because if it had an answer, we couldn't identify with it. And sometimes we need, we're in that Psalm 44 moment and we need to hear something which speaks to us now. And if it had those verses at the end, we would say, ah, yeah, it's okay for him. Look, everything worked out all right, but like, I'm different. But here, I believe that this is, is, um, this is how it should be. Um, so, so I believe that, that it's intended to end at verse 26. So I struggled long and hard with this psalm. Uh, I cried to God, I pleaded with him. And um, I, I remember um, one night I was away, I was actually on a, a Christian retreat and I was struggling with this and I, was, um, I went to bed and I was in a top bunk bed, I can remember, and um, I just prayed to God. And as I was praying to God, this little voice popped into my head and it, like it was an audible voice, but it basically 
Isn't Andrew, isn't this verse in the New Testament? Some of that psalm, sorry, isn't some of that psalm quoted in the New Testament? That was what, what popped into my head. But hey, maybe it is. But I couldn't get up because I would wake everybody else up. So first thing in the morning, I, I jumped out of bed and I got my Bible and I started looking and searching. And yes, I found it was. And God had given me a key. So here it was. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. This is Paul in Romans 8, quoting from this psalm. And Paul doesn't say it isn't true. He doesn't say it might be true, but it doesn't matter. Um, what Paul is saying here is, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And uh, so when I realized that, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll, just, I'll, I'll come to Psalm 45 in just a minute, but what I realized was what Paul is saying here is it's okay for outward circumstances not to be good. In fact, Paul, no, Paul being persecuted and so on. If um, the, the, this is extraordinary truth that the supreme king who's defeated every bad thing loves us intensely. You know, what, what, could we, what can we worry about if some bad things are happening, if we've got this incredible hope? In God. And so anyway, Psalm 37 is an allusion to Psalm 45. Now it's interesting that Psalm 40, um, 45 is, Psalm 44 is about external events, about things that are happening outside and God not seeming to answer. But Psalm 45 leads us into another story. Uh, which really matches this being loved by someone who is more than a conqueror. And I'll take you through that in a minute. And uh, it provides an answer. Now, scholars are recognizing that the book of Psalms is not just a random collection, like sometimes our, our song books or our hymn books, where, you know, we've just got a number of numbered songs. Um, but actually, they're linked together. And in places, they kind of tell tell a story arc. So, for example, Psalms... 42 and 43, if you read them, they're obviously matched together because they share the same chorus. They're like part one and part two of the same thing. In other places, there seems to be like a flow. The last few psalms seem to kind of be put together in a flow. And so it's actually quite reasonable that Psalm 44 and 45 go together because Psalm 45 actually answers this problem. Um, so more and more scholars are seeing that this kind of thing can happen. So let's read Psalm 45, shall we? Um, for the music director, according to the tune of Lilies, which we don't have, I expect it would be a wonderful tune, but we don't have it, a well-written poem, a love song. My heart is stirred by a beautiful song. I say, I have composed this special song for the king. My tongue is as skilled as the pen of an experienced scribe. That's like the introduction. Then we go into this song. You are the most handsome of men. Your lips have been anointed with grace. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. 
This is actually, we're going to see, this is actually talking about Jesus. This is a song about Jesus. And we're going to see you can prove this in a minute. But you know how often when people picture God as being like an old man in a beard? Here we have a description of Jesus, which is nothing like that. Like he's a young man in his prime of youth, perfect in his, in his, in his strength and his, his physical beauty. Um, strap your sword on your thigh, O warrior. Appear in your majestic splendor. Appear in your majesty and be victorious. Ride forth for the sake of what is right. On behalf of justice, then your right hand will accomplish mighty acts. So he's going forth to establish justice. He's, he's riding forth this perfect warrior king. Your arrows are sharp and penetrate the heart of the king's enemies. Nations fall at your feet. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The sceptre of your kingdom is a sceptre of justice. You love justice and hate evil. For this reason, God, your God, has anointed you with the joy of elevating you above your companions. And those last two verses are actually quoted in the book of Hebrews, applied to Jesus. Jesus did this. And of course, when it came to it, his kingdom was not with swords and with killing people. It was actually, it was actually bringing the gospel and freeing people. Uh, but this is the kingdom that it's talking about in this kind of visual language. Um, verse 8, all your garments are perfumed with myrrh along aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, the music of stringed instruments that makes you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands your bride in gold of Ophir. And now it pivots. The whole thing pivots from the, the picture of Jesus to the picture of his bride. And this is very kind of Song of Solomon language that we're getting here. So let's read about his bride. Uh, uh, listen, O princess, observe and pay attention. Forget your homeland and your family. Somehow she's got been separated from her, her, her family, from her country. She's in another country. Uh, forget your homeland and your family and the king will desire your beauty. After all, he is your Lord. Honor him. The daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. Men of wealth will seek your favor. All glorious is the princess in pearls, her clothing woven with gold. In embroidered robes, she's led to the king. So this is the wedding. Her virgin companions follow her and are brought to you. They're overwhelmed with joy as they walk in procession and enter the palace. Instead of your fathers, you will have your sons. You will make them princes throughout the land. I will proclaim your greatness, this is the, the bride, throughout the coming years, and that then the nations will praise you forever. So this is an extraordinary um, psalm, which is, as I said, a little bit like Song of Solomon. It's about the bride. It's about the bride of Christ. And it's about the incredible uh, um, position she's lifted to in being the bride of the conquering king, the king who is so strong that everything falls before him. Nothing can stand in front of this king. He's the king of kings. And he's chosen this bride. What does she have to worry about if she has such 
a one who cares so much for her. So this is the answer that Paul gives us, that our external situation might look bad and there might not be any answers right at that moment, but the answers found in God's covenant promises that the anointed one who's ultimately going to rule the nations uh, is is the one who loves us and his bride will forget all the external hardships of formal times as she rejoices in her secure state with her new lover. So what's really exciting is we see that what Paul says uh, when he quotes this, this is, exact, is the exact point of the psalm. And so what we're going to see is that, um, actually let me just take you here. So uh, this is Romans again. I'm going to read you a bit more of it. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or, or danger or sword? For it's written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We were guarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So this is the quote from 44. Then he says, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that's a perfect summary of Psalm 45. More than conquerors is the first half. Him who loved us is the second half. And then he expands on that. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, I'm sure you knew that that verse, but now you know a little bit more about it, how it's basically a play off Psalm 45 and this beautiful, incredible psalm of love. That and a wedding picture. So um, Psalm 44 then, to summarize, is about a situation where circumstances have gone bad. God is not making them good again. And Paul's answer is one we don't expect. It's, it doesn't really matter what bad circumstances are on the outside um, if our inner hope is so amazing. And these prom- problems cannot shake us because there's a king who's conquered the universe and he loves us so intently. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray. It doesn't mean we shouldn't cry to God about circumstances. There are many Psalms that are crying to God about circumstances and he is hearing them. But what this Psalm is saying, if you're in the middle of this and you haven't got to the answer yet, you're still in the middle, don't give up. And assume God doesn't care. If you're in the middle here and you're saying, it just feels like God is not hearing my prayers. Here is something that you can hold on to and you can say, you know, what does this really matter if I have this incredible promise to me? So I want to end by asking, what do we do about this? What should we do? Well, first of all, um, it could be things are going wrong to lead you to God. So don't assume that you're as innocent as the writer of Psalm 44. It could be that there could be some things that God wants you to learn that you're not. So, and it could be that you're not actually following Jesus. You're not a Christian. And I want to urge you that this promise of Psalm 45 is for those who are trusting their lives to Jesus. So, 
maybe the answer, maybe what is God is saying to you through these two Psalms is come to him and ask him to forgive you. Wipe away all your debt and he will take you into these eternal promises. Um, sometimes, um, though, things do not make sense, sense to us. And God doesn't have to explain to us right then and there. He doesn't. Um, but the most important thing, I think, is that not to listen to the lie that God doesn't care. This is what Satan wants us to think. He wants us to think, oh, God's abandoned you. He doesn't care about you. And this is why in the Romans verses we read, the key point is that God will not abandon you. Nothing will separate you. Nothing, neither this nor this nor this. The key thing that even if it feels that God's not hearing your prayer, God has not abandoned you. And, you know, God uh, God has an extraordinary future for us. And he says his love is strong as death. And um, I, I, the, the story that we read of this queen in Psalm 45 is small compared with what we have promised to us. And so I would say, don't miss out on what God has for you now, what you already have in him and how you can enjoy this now. I remember once I was um, on a business trip and I was sent to a, a, a place and they put me up in a really, really nice hotel. And um, when, I, when I came down in the, in the morning, um, the breakfast was really, really expensive. And I thought, you know, I... Um, uh, this will be in my own my own pocket. I'm going to go out and buy some food. So I went and found some stores and bought some stuff to eat and made myself some breakfast in my room. Anyway, I was there three days. The next later on that day, I I just casually I thought I went to the desk. I said, "How much is the breakfast?" And she looked at me and she looked at my note. She said, "Oh, it's free for you because you're you have a room. Breakfast is free." <laughs> like I'd missed out on my free breakfast. So you know. If something is yours and it belongs to you, don't miss out on it. God has given you this promise, this incredible promise in Romans and Psalm 45. Don't miss out on it. Don't fail to enjoy what he's given to you and get stuck in what you don't have, the, the, the far less significant things that you don't have now. But in order to do this, you need a revelation of the love of Jesus. This is what Paul had. Paul had a very clear just deep re revelation through the spirit of how much he was loved by God. And I want to say that, that this is probably the main thing we need to take from this morning, that this, these words need to be spoken by the spirit into us. And I'm going to be praying for that for you um, in just a moment. And I want to just say to you that maybe, I don't know the details of everyone's circumstances right now, but maybe this psalm is for you today. And maybe this is, is what God, God is speaking to you today right now. And he's, he's saying to you that you need to actually turn your eyes off what's outside and look at what you have in him and just enjoy what that is. Maybe you're becoming too much taken up with the outside and you're ignoring the treasure, 
like the free breakfast, but far, far better, this treasure that you have that belongs to you already. And so I'm going to pray now for all of us that we will get some kind of uh, an experience of Psalm 45 and Paul's interpretation of it. And I'm just going to go back to that, uh, to those verses there. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these, uh, these amazing two psalms. And we thank you for this amazing key that Paul gives us, uh, telling us what we have in you. Thank you, God. Thank you for telling us this truth. But Lord, we pray that you would speak it into our hearts through your spirit. Lord, we pray that these words in Romans, that we're more than conquerors, more than conquerors through you who love us, will really reach us and touch us. That, that nothing can separate us from your love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from your love in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray, we ask now, we ask now, fill us with your love, that we will experience it, that it will bring us joy. Thank you, God, for this hope we have. In Jesus, amen.